Hi, and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Shannon. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Aaron. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Book Hoarders Anonymous, episode 32. Woohoo! Book Hoarders is almost as many episodes as I have been alive. <laughs> as many years. Oh, well. Yeah, so. Yeah, it hasn't been on that long. We should clarify. Sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes it does. I was, I was trying to finish the book today <laughs> for the uh, podcast and thinking, gosh, we've been doing this an awfully long time. It's still fun nonetheless. Yes. And our homework was Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, because Terry Pratchett is recently died. Died last month. Uh, yeah. And, and, and we, we should say that I'm Shannon. Oh, yeah. And I'm Aaron. And <laughs> we're the book orders type of thing. We're very professional. Yeah, absolutely. Very professional. And we use really correct grammar on this podcast. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're here to talk about that and also books we read and a few things in book news, including another author death to report, sadly. Um <laughs> Not, not an author I've read, though, but we'll get to that in a little while. Uh, let's see. I think we started with you last time, so I'll just forge ahead and talk about what I've read this month. Okay, so I've been reading a lot of fiction this month, like usual, and I've been trying to read some nonfiction, but this month none made it into the list of things that I finished. So um, I'll just talk about a couple of the fictional things that I've, that I've read. Uh, I, did, I read Gone Girl for my book club. Uh, I was not impressed. I couldn't stand it. And it ended weird. And I, that's 12 hours of my life that I will never get back. I, I think Gone Girl is a really interesting book that way. Um, I, I read it for a book club and then I read it for myself. And I think that there, that, that it's like one of the most polarizing books that I've ever come across because people really, really like it or they really, really don't. Yeah. There's nobody that's like, Gone Girl was just okay. Yeah. And I'm one of the ones in the middle, uh, uh, you know, on that really, really didn't like it. Um, the people were so flawed and the woman in the book was so creepy. Uh, the man turned out not to be a really nice guy either. And I just didn't like any of the characters in it, except maybe one, the female cop was, was good, but she was a supporting character. You know, she mm -hmm. wasn't like the protagonist in the, in the novel. And so I just, I just was not, I, I couldn't get into it. I made myself finish it. Um, but other than that, uh, it's nothing that I'm going to read again. And I'm glad that I didn't purchase it. Yes. Uh, let's see. What did I read next? Oh, um, I read a lot of Tudor fiction this month. Uh, Tudor, like the period of Henry VIII and Queen Elizabeth and all that, um, has always interested me. Although I'm definitely not interested in the, you know, royal family at present, baby Charlotte and all that. Eh, you know, whatever. But um, I do enjoy reading the odd Tudor fiction piece. And I read uh, the sequel to Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel, because that um, show is coming. It came on BBC this year. It's it's now been adapted into a screenplay, and 
and the sequel has been out for several years. Like Wolf Hall, it also won the Booker Prize. And it, like Wolf Hall, had, had a similar reaction to it, which was that it was interestingly boring. Um, <laughs> Wolf Hall and its sequel are about Thomas Cromwell, who was an advisor to one of the king's chancellors and then King Henry VIII when the uh, chancellor was executed. And... Uh, he basically he was the son of a blacksmith who rose to be a peer of the realm uh, on his wits and intelligence, which at the time was very remarkable. It didn't happen very often, and uh, so he's a very interesting character in his own right. These books are strange because they're written in the present tense, and it's basically about his doings and what he does to make you know make stuff happen. Um, he, he works for the king and he carries out the king's wishes and. He, in order, he comes up with the legal arguments to help the king divorce his first and second wives, and uh, so far that's all I know. But um, the the books are interesting because it talks a lot about what he does, but doesn't give you a lot of his motivation or the emotion behind it. Uh, it's only at the end of the second book that you kind of get an idea about why he's doing the things that he's doing. In other words, why he... Um, went to work for the king right after his former boss, Cardinal Woolsey, was executed, uh, why he went after Anne Boleyn and all the Boleyns, really, with such zeal. Um, and he really, somebody else thinks what thinks he knows what the motive is and tells Cromwell, well, you're doing this because blah, 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 blah. And he really doesn't deny it or say yes or no, or you're just kind of left wondering. So the second book is really as opaque and obscure as the first book. Um, and draws the characters. I just, I had a lot of trouble with the way the author developed the characters and the way in which she developed the protagonist, which is leaving him a very opaque character. She just didn't bring any of them to life for me. Uh, But these books did get me interested in the Tudor period. And so ever since I read Wolf Hall about five years ago, I've been reading Tudor fiction, like by Philippa Gregory and C.J. Sansom, who actually is one of my favorite authors. Uh, that I've discovered since then, and um, Robin Maxwell, um, who's okay, but really not all that great. Uh, Philippa Gregory is is really outstanding for um, her books are really outstanding. Uh, and C.J. Sansom, if you like a good mystery thriller with a lot of um, royal personages mixed up in it, uh, and a lot of sort of legalese kind of thrown in there because he was an attorney before he became an author, uh, those are really, really good books. Um Let's see. The next book that I read was called uh, The Sound of Language by Amulia Mulati. And she is uh, was born in the U.S. of Indian immigrant parents and now lives in Denmark. She wrote a book. Uh, this is, I think, maybe her second book. And this book is about um, a woman from Pakistan who fled from the Taliban to Denmark and has to learn Danish, and she thinks that Danish sounds like bees buzzing. And so she's having a real hard time learning it. Uh, But it also talks about the fact that in Denmark, when you're learning uh, Danish, when you're an immigrant, they have this really structured program that you go through. It's kind of like here in the U.S., you come, you immigrate. Whether you learn English or not, it's up to you. Whether, you know, whatever you do, you do. Um, In Denmark, you have to learn Danish, apparently, and you have to go through a, like, you have to get a job so that you can use Danish on the job. So 
the main character in this book gets a job with a beekeeper, uh, a guy who's like this crotchety old man lives all by himself. His wife died and he's really depressed. And she gets a job with him, uh, helping him to keep bees because when she was in Pakistan, she used to go to her uncle's house and he used to keep bees. And so, um, it's basically about their friendship and how he helps her to adjust to life living in Denmark. And uh, there's some racial tensions and things and how he and his friends help her and her family recover from some pretty devastating things that happened to them while they're, uh, while they're, you know, getting into the swing of things and living, you know, getting to live in in Denmark and learning the culture. So um, I found it, it was a really good book. It was a pretty fast-paced read, uh, and it was a, a Kindle read. And so that makes it even faster because you can speed it up. Yes. <laughs> and, of course, I read Good Omens. Um, <laughs> I reread The Chronicles of Narnia this month, and that actually took a lot of the month because there are a lot of them. There are seven. Uh, they're very short, but I started from the beginning and read to the end. Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, in case none of you know, C.S. Lewis, um, and they recently got put up on Bard, which is not how I read them, but that inspired me to read them because the complete set narrated by Eric Sandvold was put up there. Uh, he is not one of my favorites, and so I found some other versions, but... Um, they were just as enjoyable as the first, like, 90,000 times I read them. <laughs> uh, Yay! And uh, I, I just love those books. Um, they're, I mean, you can obviously tell that C.S. Lewis, I mean, they're written from sort of this Christian bent, but um, I don't think that detracts from them. I didn't feel preached at. Uh, they're books for kids. They're, it was just wonderful. I could read his description of the creation of Narnia about 10,000 times, and it's still just fabulous is the first time um and the end of the world part isn't half bad either but the creation uh part of it um in the magician's nephew that you read about um people land in narnia by accident basically these kids who drag along this whole other all these other people and it hasn't been created yet and they witness the creation of it and it's just fascinating um so those books out of the way now we can hear what you've read okay well um it's funny that you should talk about Gillian Flynn because <laughs> I happen to be one of the people that really liked Gone Girl. I don't know why I really liked Gone Girl because okay. I shouldn't have. Well, <laughs> I, like, it doesn't it, matter. Like, I'm not judging you. Well, it's it's like it has lots of things in it that I don't like. Um, that that usually when I hear about them, like you know, when I when I hear about flawed characters that aren't very nice to each other, and and like the ending being being kind of horrible and confusing. I'm usually not on board for that, but I liked Gone Girl when I read it. So, but I hadn't read anything else of hers until I picked up Sharp Objects, which was put up on Bard, and um, they used the commercial version, and I can't mm -hmm. remember the name of the lady that reads it, but she did a pretty good job. Um, and it was, I liked it, I don't think it, I didn't like it as much as I liked Gone Girl, but it was, it was an interesting read. Um, it was set in Missouri the way that Gone Girl is, and it was about basically the like these relationships that women have with each other. And I think she's saying some really interesting things about that. And it, and um, the main character and her mother have this really, really fascinating dynamic. And um, I, I, I don't know. I just think Gillian Flynn is an is an interesting writer, but I don't know if I'm really eager to read. Um, 
now I've read two of her books and I only have one more. I'm not sure when I'll get to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then I read, after that, I, I was thinking I wanted something um, sort of in the same vein, but maybe with characters I liked more. And I read The Shining Girls by Lauren Bukies, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of an interesting premise. It's the, basically, for whatever reason... This guy finds this house, which when he goes into it, lets him travel back and forth through time. Um, He's in the 1930s, and it takes him all the way up to, like, 1993. And he he figures out that what he's supposed to do while he's traveling through time is kill these certain women. Because they have some kind of shine to them. And they're all just, like, very fascinating women that clearly had a lot going for them until... Not so cool. He came, yeah, that's less cool. (laughs) But then there was one woman that got away from him. And so it's this, you know, cat and mouse game as they, as as he, as she tries to find him again and put a stop to him. And again, it was like characters were really hard to like in places, um, lots of places. (laughs) (laughs) But I liked that it was, um, I, I, I liked that that it it was kind of dark um, and and complicated and like even if I didn't like any of the characters they all kind of they all had motivations that that I could like were they weren't all you know mustache twirling villains or saints um, and I liked her a lot more than I liked Jillian Flynn mm-hmm. so I'll probably read. Um, some of her other books. I've heard people. I've, I've read reviews that say that like if this is sci-fi, it's not very good sci-fi because the time travel part like only serves the plot, and that's true. But I didn't care. <laughs> um, let's see. I read. I wanted something completely different after that, so I read Jane of Lantern Hill by L. M. Montgomery, who mm-hmm. is of course the author of the Anne of Green Gables books, and Jane of, of Lantern Hill is is a standalone um, and apparently was very different from a lot of what Ellen Montgomery wrote because there's not really like, she doesn't end the book with her sweetheart. Yeah. (laughs) She ends the book being 13. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's where Anne of Green Gables should have ended. And then that's where they should have kept it. Um, But it's, it's been, it, it's a story about a girl who her father basically hasn't been around much of her life. And then he contacts her kind of out of the blue and he wants her to spend the summer with him on Prince Edward Island. And being as Ellen Montgomery is from Prince Edward Island, of course, Prince Edward Island is the most beautiful place in the face of the world. And as soon as Jane goes there, she's like, Oh, it's home. Yay. And (laughs) so, and, and the rest of the book, I guess there is a little romance because she has to try to figure out what happened with her father and mother and why they're estranged and why they can't be happy with each other. And, and you know, that all works out. <laughs> and it was it was really pretty delightful. Um, and then lastly, I'll mention that I'm reading, I'm almost done with um, a biography of Louisa May Alcott which is called uh, Louisa May Alcott, the woman behind Little Women. Um, and it's, apparently she lived a really interesting life, too. I've been been reading several, liter- like, biographies of, of authors. I read one about Roald Dahl, 
mm-hmm. also recently, which was super long, but I finished it. And the Louisa May Alcott one is a lot shorter. But apparently, um, like, she was quite the the progressive thinking feminist in her day. Um, hmm. And she kind of had a very conflicted life because on the one hand, um, like, she wanted to be very independent, but she also really ended up having to support her her family because her dad was an intellectual that um, really didn't think things through very much in practical terms. <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah, he, he was kind of a... I, Her dad is not painted particularly well in in this book. And so it it kind of sounds like Louisa May Alcott had a really complicated relationship with him where she obviously loved him, but he must have (laughs) driven her nuts because the family was always in debt. And, you know, her writing was basically what kept them afloat. Afloat. And, yeah. And she, she was fascinating because she didn't, actually want to write Little Women. It was something, she took it sort of on a commission, and then that Mm -hmm. became the book that she was most famous for. That's funny. Like, she really was just kind of like, eh, sure, why not? (laughs) I gotta write it. I gotta write something, because I gotta make money. And then all of a sudden, it's it's what she's best known for. Poof. And and then she, like, she was, they they talked about how, you know, when, when she wrote, um, of course, Little Women being broken up into two halves. There was, you know, part one, Little Women, and then the sequel, mm-hmm. which, you know, in the American edition, we just have the one book. But, of course, in the uh, spoiler alert for this 150-year-old book that <laughs> if you haven't read it yet, um, in, in the second part of the book, when the sisters are all kind of getting off and get going, get going off and getting married, um... There apparently lots of readers had written to her saying that that she was she's going to pair Joe and Lori off, isn't she? And her famous quote is, "I'm not going to marry Joe to Lori to please anybody." She didn't. <laughs> no, she didn't. And we were all thinking it was going to happen. I mean, I know I was when I read the book. I was like, "This is this is going to happen, isn't it?" And then the sequel kept going and going, and I'm like, "Hmm, it kind of doesn't look like it's going to happen now." And I remember being disappointed. And what I remember, I read a comment on on somewhere on the internet that said Louisa May Alcott is great. She's the only only author that I can think of that where there are ship wars <laughs> that last a hundred years. That's really funny. I mean, it's like worse than the Hatfields and the McCoys. I think they've resolved their right. disputes by now. You know, <laughs> but, people are still in the Joe should have married Lori camp and in the like you know Professor Barr. <laughs> Um, but so that's, that's really been fun. She sounds, she's a very interesting lady. And she also wrote a lot of really dark horror fiction too, which not a lot of people know. She did. And, and it was talking about how a lot of that is very subversive too. Like there is one story, which I want to read where, um, you know, this woman is an actress and she's trying to con these people out of some money and she, you know. Does not do it by being gentle and virtuous. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, she lies and <laughs> manipulates people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really would like to read her her thrillers. 
Because um, it sounds like there were quite a few of them. And it sounds like she had great fun writing them. Anyway, moving on to the non-news that we have. Um, so, apparently, as I said, there was another author death that we should report. Um, Ruth Rendell, who wrote the Wexford series of novels, has died at the age of 85 from a stroke. She died on May 2nd. Um, and I've never read any of these books, and she's written other things, but those are what she is most known for. Her uh, books about uh, book series, like with 20 books in it about Reginald Wexford, who's like a police inspector who solves crimes. Well, obviously. Uh, but it was made into a BBC television show. What mystery series hasn't been made into a TV, BBC television show? We've got like <laughs> Father point. Brown and all these others. Uh, anyway, uh, so, but um, she is de- deceased, uh, which, you know, she wrote a lot. She wrote about 60 books. So very prolific. I may have to check out one of her books sometime. Have you read any of them? I, I have read. Um, I read a couple. I used to get that short stories magazine mm-hmm. that um, you can subscribe to. And I think the first issue they had, there were three short stories by Ruth Rendell or Ruth Rendell in it. And they I'm weren't sure how to say it either. <laughs> right. And then I, and I, I checked out one of the Inspector Wexford books after that. And I really like her short stories were not really mysteries. They were like psychological fiction. And I really liked that. Mm-hmm. But the Wexford book was um, so memorable that I had forgotten. Well, Everything apparently the Wexford books, I mean, they're the first, they're some of the first pioneers into the psychological thriller because they have a psychological sort of bent to them. Um, you know, people with killing people because they can't read or write, so they kill a whole family. Or uh, the woman who, or Inspector Wexford has sent somebody's uh, cut off hands in a box and then he has to figure out who killed the person that the hands were attached to. Um, anyway, that's just what the article said. But uh, she's well known for being sort of the like the pioneer of the mystery thriller genre, um, along with, of course, P.D. James and some others. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in checking those out because I like those kind of books. And, and once I start reading them, I, I keep continuing with them. Um, like I'm, I'm really fond of the Alex Delaware series by Jonathan Kellerman, which those books have kind of like a similar psychological spin on them they're mysteries but they've got you know a lot of mental like psychological things in it not to overuse that term but they do um now speaking of another author who was not a psychologist but was a former neurosurgeon dr ben carson who has written a book called america the beautiful apologized for plagiarizing parts of this 2012 book saying that he is working with his editors to add attribution to text taken from other publications. Uh, Apparently, this controversy all started when a BuzzFeed article accused him of plagiarizing a bunch of people, um, including various websites and other authors, uh, which included the historian William Federer. Uh, Federer, incidentally, doesn't believe that Ben Carson plagiarized him. He's like, what is up with this BuzzFeed article? I was totally on board with him using my stuff. I think the attributions were done correctly, and they should all just, you know, uh, go. This They should stop hounding him about it. Um, however, he did apologize because I guess some people were hurt and offended and did feel like he was plagiarizing them. And um, he's planning to fix it. I haven't read the book. Apparently, he is considering running for the 2016 Republican presidential campaign. I'm not sure if he's going to do it or not. 
a former neurosurgeon as president. I, I don't know. I have this feeling that he's going to like start digging in people's brains and stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, seriously, um, I haven't read the book. I may at some point, I don't know, um, just to read it, uh, especially if he runs for president. But um, I don't have a view one way or the other about whether he pr- plagiarized. Uh, it's just, you know, he's going to fix it, I guess. Uh, all we needed to report on that. Uh, speaking of book releases, um, new releases are coming out this year. Star Wars is going to release 20 new books. A lot can happen in 32 years of space time. In the Star Wars universe, we're about to find out just how much at least 20 new books will be released this fall, uh, just in time to take place right after Return of the Jedi ends. Uh, and because that the next movie is going to come out in December, and so The Force Awakens, they are preparing for that. Uh, the one thing I found kind of sad was that previously George Lucas had sanctioned a storyline that was written into a trilogy by Timothy Zahn, um, and I read it, and it was enthralling. It was a wonderful trilogy, and it was kind of like sanctioned by George Lucas as being the next stop for Star Wars after Return of the Jedi. Well, now George Lucas, Disney, Lucas film, whatever it's called now, um, has kind of like dropped Timothy Zahn's trilogy altogether and said, eh, we're going with another one. They won't say what the storyline is, but it's no longer the one that we've been sort of like told it was going to be. Uh, of course, that was 20 years ago. Now they've got this new thing going on. They're not telling us what it is. We're just going to have to wait for all the books, I guess. We don't even know who the authors are. Uh, some of these books are going to be written from the perspective of supporting characters. And they're going to not only talk about the future Star Wars universe, but take the episodes that have already been released and present them from the point of view of supporting characters like C-3PO and and others which to mm-hmm. me just sounds weird. Um, but apparently there is a CPO short story, at least from the point of view of C3PO coming out in the fall. Hmm. All right. Um, on that note, um, I wonder if any of these books will be available in ebook format and also whether they're going to be suitable for kids because apparently none of them are going to contain erotica. Uh, that doesn't mean they're going to be suitable for, suitable for kids. However, uh, they may, if they are suitable for children, land in the uh, slew of free ebooks for low-income kids that Obama, President Obama is working with various publishers to put out over the next uh, few months. He went to a public library in one of Washington's poorest neighborhoods and talked about this new initiative. Uh, it's a plan to give low-income children access to 10,000 ebooks uh, and working with publishers and libraries. It doesn't say who. Um, this White House sees this plan as part of a strategy to address inner-city problems by increasing educational opportunities for kids. Um, now, of course, I see where this is going. The kid has to have a computer device or something to read a book, probably that he doesn't have personal use of because, well, he's from a low-income family that can't afford it, so he needs a computer at the local library or something or a device at the local library to read his book and or even a device at school because I'm not sure how the books are going to be provided, uh, if the libraries are going to have devices, if the schools are going to have the devices. So, like... He's not going to want to go home from the library or school because he doesn't want to put his book down or, God forbid, he steals the device. 
I don't know, just my cynical bent on this whole thing. It doesn't seem very practical, in other words. Um, not really. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how they'll how they'll they'll roll it out. I guess we'll have to see. I guess, because you can't really read a book without a device. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm just not I don't understand it. So, uh, I guess we'll see how it works as we roll along. Um, and one article that I just found that just for uh, interest sake to ramble about, wondering if post-apocalyptic literature has a future, uh, because a lot of it is, it, this is sort of the same thing that happened with the mystery thrillers, you know, back in the day, they debated, are these things really going to take off? And are they really going to stick around? And that was like, you know, 50 years ago with Sherlock Holmes, and lo and behold, we've still got mystery thrillers. Uh, but now there's the debate about whether po- post-apocalyptic literature will continue to thrive, because a lot of it is very formulaic. And what does it need to continue to um, have a following. Because there are no other genres in literature that are, that are formulaic at all. No, of course not. <laughs> Just that one. Just that one. So apparently you need good, you need to write a good story with a, you know, well-drawn, it's just like anything, well-drawn characters, um, a plausible storyline, uh, a little bit of break in the action for a little bit of romance to shine through or some kind of subplot in order for the post-apocalyptic genre to succeed. And it really boils down to the fact that this article is saying that post-apocalyptic literature needs things that every genre needs in order to stay afloat. At least that's what I, th- I took it as when I read it. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I took it. Yeah. Uh, any other news items? Um, I think that's it. So we should go on to, to discussing the post-apocalyptic no. book we did read. Yes. Did you like that segue? That was a great segue. I was going to say the same thing. So it turns out <laughs> that like great minds think alike and produce great segues. Yeah. Um, so we um, should go on and talk about this book. Omens. It's um, Good Omens. And Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman collaborated for this. I did not like it nearly as well as I thought I would. Yeah, I don't. I didn't either. I I read it once before, and it was the kind of book I read because my, all of my friends said, "Oh my gosh, Shannon, why have you not read this? It's so great!" And I did read it, and I feel like I liked it better that time. <laughs> Interesting. But I didn't. Th- this time it was just too long. Ultimately, yeah, I thought it was too long, and it was too confusing. I was so, I mean, there were parts of it where I was laughing out loud because they, you know, the jokes were funny. Uh, A demon named Crowley, that just amused me to no end Uh, (laughs) because of the, um, you know, famous or infamous occultist Aleister Crowley back in the early 1900s. I have a lot of his books, by the way. Anyway, uh, (laughs) that aside... um, some of it was amusing, and the whole thought that, you know, an angel and a demon, they're not really on board with the apocalypse, they want to stop it, and they're from both sides of the, you know, both sides of the coin, and they're trying to work together to do that. I thought it was kind of clever. The Antichrist gets switched at birth. I mean, you know, just really clever things happen in the in the book, but I, it just didn't come together for me, and I was confused the whole time, and I'm just like, what is going on? And it ends the way I thought it would, which is that the world continues without an apocalypse. Spoiler alert! Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I just, it didn't work for me. And I, you know, 
you read a version read by a non-British person. I read a version read by a British person. It still didn't work for me. Yeah, the 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 guy that reads it for Bard is is an American, and it's just not the right the right voice for it. Um, I think I think it's clever. Um, I I do understand why people like it. I just really do think it's it's not. Um, there there are aspects of the book I would would probably have enjoyed learning more about. I really liked Crowley and Aziraphale, um, but yeah, it, it was just too long. And there was one chapter that literally went on for seven hours, according to my yeah, <laughs> which is probably stream. the equiv- the equivalent of like two hundred pages or something. I mean, yeah. it was totally I mean, it insane. Was too much. There were you know. Not, I, I was saying this before that we were, we were recording and my problem was that I, I felt like I needed a place to stop occasionally. And especially since my attention wasn't particularly being held in the first place. Yeah. Um, and also I just don't think there were, the characters were, they, they were kind of there for the sake of the jokes but there wasn't a whole lot else there. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it was like a book of, if you want a, a festival of one-liners and clever little innuendos, that book is for you. But I just didn't feel like the characters were very well-drawn. I wanted to know more about some of them, like you said. Um, I particularly liked Anathema Device. Um, right. And wanted to know a whole lot more about her, but, you know, it just wasn't there. Um and there was just too much. I mean, can you have can you have a book with too much humor just sort of packed in there? That's what it felt like to me. It did. It did, and it was. Um, and I like I like humor. I, I like I like absolutely that, I like that style of humor too. But it was just not. It like there there were, I like after a while it was just like I I wasn't I didn't find it very suspenseful because I knew exactly what was going to happen. Right. And um and basically I just feel like this is this was not like to my personal taste this was this was not one of our better picks and I feel like I'm kind of the fun police ragging on it so much because <laughs> obviously it's funny and if you like jokes then you should go read it for the jokes and send us email and tell us how wrong we are. Exactly. Um, but, but if you actually want a serious look at um, how, you know, Armageddon might go down. This isn't it. This is probably not it. And I knew that it was going to be full of jokes because, well, Terry Pratchett's part of the right. collaboration and Neil Gaiman has written some pretty humorous stuff. And so I knew that they were going to be there. It's just that I, I wanted a little more character development. I feel like even in Discworld, you know, Terry Pratchett's main world he develops the characters a little more and still has a lot of that humor um and there's a better balance between the humor and the character development and even the plot i felt like the plot in this one was really sort of like tangled up and choppy it just felt choppy to me reading it it. and i just uh, it just didn't it didn't work for me and so um I, i i realized that i was not expecting a serious look at armageddon but no. the choppiness in the plot and sort of like the overabundance of humor just made the book for me a very difficult read. And incidentally, if you want a serious look at Armageddon, I think the Left Behind series is still pretty, pretty good um, for that. It's very, I mean, people can say that 
there are a lot of inaccuracies in it, but it focuses on the book of Revelation and what the apocalypse might be like. And it's like this 12 or 13 book series. I think it got a little overlong, um, but it's there. Most series do. Yeah, it's there for those for those who want a serious look at the um, yeah. apocalypse. It's by Timothy LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And uh, I-, I will leave the left behind kids out of that. Jerry Jenkins wrote some like really weird books about kids in the you know like during the apocalypse that are for kids and i couldn't get into that at all but um the the books i I did enjoy i felt like i was preached at but at the i mean you know because i'm just i'm not a a believer so i felt like sometimes they were preachy but it was really interesting if the book of revelation was to be taken as it's written and all the crazy weird madness that goes on in there is not just some kind of symbolism what would happen Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's basically the way the authors approached that. I have had people write to me and tell me, so if you've read it, I'd be interested in your views on it, that the way in which it's portrayed is not the way that the Bible portrays it. I wouldn't know because it seems fine to me, but I'm not a real uh, studious reader of Revelation, so I don't know. I I didn't I didn't like that that the first book was the only one I ever tried, and and it was because I didn't have anything else to read ah. and. My the person I was living with at the time had it on cassette tape, and she made me stop after I after I kept stopping the tape after a while to yell at at the characters in the books because I thought they were terrible human beings that didn't have a whole lot of life going for them. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the point. I mean, you know, like you can be saved even if you're a terrible human being, uh, and so. I, I was patient with it, I think, only because I was reading them read by Frank Muller, and he can read almost anything or could before he died. Um, rest in peace, Frank Muller. Uh, I had this huge crush on him at one time, and so I think he's awesome. And so I read, you know, several of them read by him just because they were – it was him. So I was reading them because of that. Um, and um, he's written – He's he just is so brilliant, I think. So um, – Anyway, that was why I got stuck on them. And I read, I read several of them. I have not finished the series. I have heard that, that like a friend of mine read the last book when I guess Christ comes to earth or whatever. And she said she slept through like a half of the book and doesn't feel like she missed anything. (laughs) (laughs) So it does get, it does get over long. But anyway, enough about that series. Uh, The radio drama incidentally is really horrible. Oh my God. Anyway, enough about that. (laughs) Uh, So... Next, next up, next book um, for homework next month, we are reading a book called Wild by Cheryl Strayed. It is a nonfiction book. Go us. We're reading nonfiction. Uh, and it is about her hike along up up through. What is it? The Rocky Mountains? Was it I the think, Rock- yeah, I think it was. I think it's up through in the, in the Northwest, she says. After suffering some devastating personal loss, she goes on this hike up through the trails up there and all the people that she meets on that journey. So um, we will look forward to reading that and being back with you to discuss it. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, and Did I just lose you? No, I'm here. Hello. Yoo-hoo. Oh, oh okay. I'm here. Are I'm you here. here? Okay. Are you- I think we just had one. I think my internet just did one of those weird little things. Um, things it does okay so will it be we'll look forward to discussing that book and um we probably should give some contact information before we wrap this up we should um if you would like to 
to contact us, uh, you can go to our website at bhapodcast.com. And we are um, bhapodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. And we are at Book Hoarders on Twitter. Absolutely. And if you want to contact us personally on Twitter, we are Aaron Edgar. Well, that's me. And Shannon's Twitter moniker is Bardsong. So feel free to get in touch with us that way as well. Uh, Meanwhile, good luck with the homework and have a happy life. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye. To contact the book hoarders, send email to bhapodcast at gmail.com. Follow book hoarders on Twitter. Call us at 520-81-BOOKS, 520-812-6657. And visit the website at bhapodcast.com.